Hi, it's Jess, not Florence. Episode 33 today, and we're sitting in Starbucks. Don's promised to be normal voice. I have, so, um, but Jess will be in charge of volume control if I get too loud. Yeah, she's gone all quiet now. Um, I'm just watching this couple over here. They're on a first date, I think, and uh, I'm quite liking that, but he, he won't take his eyes off her. All right, okay. Yeah, it's quite nice. I like that early stuff when like someone's really really attentive. I'm super bad at noticing change, so somebody's like that at the start and then changes. I'm just like, no, don't like it. Okay. So you have to be the same consistency. That's the word. Do you think anybody can be consistent? I'm pretty consistently crazy. <laughs> I think I think we're all different when we first meet people, though, right? I mean, we takes want to put a while. Our best foot forward. Yeah, right? yeah, I think so, and I think it takes a while in a relationship for you to. Um, not worry about how they're going to think about you so you, you, you're on your best behaviour for a while I guess it spend, depends how much time you hang out with each other for how much time it takes to change that but does that not mean that you're <laughs> okay so um, yeah I don't know what's going to happen with the recording but somebody just walked up and talked to us so I paused it so hopefully that won't you have dogs. You must know people that are dog walkers. <laughs> well, the the different dog every time you come in here is a bit of a clue. Yes, yeah, so we have um, Nico today who's behaving Im- immaculately, isn't he? He is. He's actually one of the best behaved dogs we've had in here. Yeah. He's lying down. He's not being Apart kind from of... Tuesday. Yeah, but Tuesday's an exception. Is she? She's just a big <laughs> fluffy ball of teddy bear. Is she? I see. But he, actually, Tuesday doesn't behave as well as Miko's behaving. She's always a bit curious. She wants to go and talk to other dogs and things. She's great when she talks to other dogs, but he's just lying there. He's very good. Yeah. So. So we're talking about people. We are. Again. And I think this is going to segue us nice into what we were just talking about when I said we should record this. Imposter syndrome. We were talking about. So um, on a date, are you being an imposter by putting your best foot forward and trying to be somebody that you aren't every day? Yeah, so I think there are di- there are different characters we play in our lives in different circumstances. And I think when you go on a date, you are definitely projecting a certain character. <laughs> Thank you. Um, um, so I think you, you choose to be a person. We were talking about social media, weren't we, and how people have pictures on their social media, and you're like, I don't know that person. The person they chose, the pictures they choose to show, and it always surprises me when I've met somebody and then I see a picture of them on their social media or the pictures they share and they're like so different they're all the the dolled up presented version of them I'm like but I see you so do they see themselves like that or are they trying to um, show people they've got a better side than yeah, that it's their highlight reel right so most people's social media is their highlight reel they want to show people what they the want version. yeah the best version of them they want version of them they want people to see them as and I think that happens when you go on a date you're like well here's my flaws here's the things I don't want this person to know about me because they won't like me so I'm just going to be that version of myself and I'll act my way through it I think in most cases a date is a very structured way which is why I think um, that some of our best relationships are formed when we're not on dates when we're actually doing a shared experience so we talked before about that kind of um, connection meter that we have and the best way of filling the connection meter is to do a shared experience because actually you're so focused on the experience and the thing you're doing you're not putting on airs and graces you're being your true version of yourself or the truest version of you so doing a coffee date is actually the opposite of doing a a thing date like going out yeah Yeah, so um, if you wanted so you very kindly organized an escape room for my birthday right which was great fun and we were in rooms with people that we might not normally have ever had to work with before but people we knew right so um mum and dad thought rob was great he's a real problem solver so they, they didn't see him in that light before right normally they've just seen rob as um so rob's a, uh, one of my i better not call him a trainee because he's a dog trainer in his own right now he's kind of earned that title um one of my protégés will i say that protégé it's a nice word um and so they've never really seen him like that they've only seen him at, at food events or we're eating together and you know making small talk yeah exactly and he's pretty chilled right he's a pretty laid-back kind of guy so um to see him in a problem-solving situation is very different we had a conversation right you sent me that stupid picture he's gonna love that we're speaking about him <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you sent me that stupid picture about you know what can you see in this 
and and then you were like, oh, it shows that you're not a very good leader. And we had this whole conversation about <laughs> Jess going, and then Jess was like, oh, well, I asked somebody else, and they said you're not a good leader either. And I'm like, okay, so I've run 500 seat crawl centers, I've managed teams across the world, but you've never seen me in that light. You've you've seen a totally different version of me to the version that, that did my high-powered job, so you wouldn't know. So the, the escape room was the same sort of thing. So for me, it was a birthday thing, and it was great fun. I had my child with me. We had we had Willow, who um, is the kid that comes on the walks and did a work experience with you, and um, we had Elma, who might listen to this as well. And you know, Elma has a background in NLP and coaching, but I know her from walking her dog on the walks, right? And we've had lots of chats. And being a, and a being a trainee or a client, somebody who's absorbing. Yeah, and actually she's very, conversations. And she's very leadership quality, isn't she? Yeah, she is. She trained people on leadership, right? So this was a totally unique environment for us all to be together in. Now I know my child pretty well, so so that was great. But oh and my friend Jenny was in there and, and each of us has different skills. And so, you know, firstly I ended up finding myself with the walkie talkie to talk back to base, right? And I never choose a leadership role, but I often end up in a leadership role. But then it was like, it was fun. So we could have taken it very seriously and we could have got upset at each other and we could have started shouting at each other because clearly each one of us thought very differently and approached puzzles very differently. I'm a bit chaotic, you know? I'm just like, give it a shot, see where we get to. Um, other people are very mechanical and, and structured systematic. and that's really hard for a chaotic and a systematic person to, to work together and not want to kill each other. But because it was like... I wonder if you and I should go and do another one together and see if we can get... I think it would be fascinating. I don't think maybe an escape room is the right thing because we'd have to have random other people with us. But it would be interesting for us to work on something. I I think we actually do partner quite well. So it's like with my husband, I can't work with him. Really? No, he's very um, detail-oriented. He's quite OCD about stuff. He... um, he looks at risks, he looks at contingency. I'm like, let's just give it a shot and see where we get to. So if we try and do something together, we've done some programming tasks together, it's a nightmare. I hate it, he hates it, neither of us enjoys it. So I, I think um, if you put yourself in a situation where you have to solve a problem or you have to achieve an end result, you can't fake who you are at that point because there will be things that go wrong, there will be communications to be had and there will be frustrations and that's where the real you is going to come out. the thing about an escape room, right, is that you need to communicate. So especially our one. So my team, and and the interesting thing about my team, that there was four of us and we've all worked together with the the charity projects and, you know, when you've got like 10 or 12 horses to get ready and go out as a group, you know, that that is a stress. Yes. You're working with animals, you're working with kids, you know, and, and, um, or people that are... um, with complex needs for example so you have to work together and communicate um but also there's not really anybody in charge because you can't really be that bossy that they'll just go fuck you and you have to respect each other's skill sets absolutely and that's one of the things that i was the last one in the toilet they had to get me out and it was really infuriating they were getting one cubicle and clearly that was the way it works right so just to set the scene it's dark it's in a toilet there's blood everywhere that says um you know you're gonna die now it's but let me say like a scene from saw um, one of my friends was um, handcuffed to a radiator and every, the rest of us were in cubicles on our own in the dark and we had to find the objects that we had um, and we had a torch. Right. And so um, the one that was tied to a radiator had the first clue to get the last person out and that was right. Ashley and then and then Barry, Barry got out and I was stuck in and we couldn't figure it out. Now, um, my code to get out was on the wall but it was a mirror writing. Right. And it wasn't mirror writing, it was like, uh, it was objects that were... Um, it seems really obvious now, but at the time it was just, I couldn't figure where the symbols were, yep. but they were all symmetrical. And right. afterwards we were like, how did I not see that? Do you know? Yeah, yeah. But there was a mirror on my door that they could see and they figured that out. Right. So they got me out. But the, the start of it was, right guys, what do you see? And we all, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, gave our, and we did really well, we got out of it. And they said to us that, um, you know, for never doing an escape room before, it was really good and we got out on time. And yeah, we all had our strengths and weaknesses. So one of the things that was right in front of Emma the whole time, when I came out the cubicle, I saw immediately this puzzle. I could see the numbers were sticking out, you know. Yeah. Um, so none of us were really particularly in charge. No. There no. was a man there, so one man, but um, Barry. Um, but yeah, it was teamwork rather yeah. than you know having a leader. And I think the escape rooms need that. They need the mix of people. I think one person dominating can send you down the wrong path. Sure, yeah. Um, but you also need people who are willing to contribute and are not too submissive to other people's ideas because they might have a really good idea. So the room we were in was nowhere near as traumatic as that one. We were just in a gold mine. 
and um, the lift had got stuck initially and we had to go back into the main room and then we had to do all sorts of stuff but we were just padlocks it was just combination locks it was there must have been like in total about 30 different number combination locks that we had to solve puzzles to find which was actually a bit dull in many ways because it would be great if we were solving different puzzles different types of puzzles but we were just finding four numbers four numbers four numbers what are the four numbers for this what are the four numbers for that um but because it was so quite monotonous <laughs> we all had different things you know so it needed somebody who could see things a little differently to find a particular combination in a different place and that okay. worked and so you kind of go oh yeah you get it and you get that and you go and do that and and you know so you kind of going okay that person's thinking the right way for this and we'll send them off and, and let them do that so but you could i could really easily see with a different mix of people how somebody could get really frustrated at everybody else and start really domineering which have made it not fun at all you know and it might not have been fun for some of the people in there because it was just not something that lit them up but i, I could think actually it must be really funny because the, so every room has videos cameras and sound so the guys in the control room can watch and they can step in and all this sort of stuff they must just have such a hoot because there must be so many of these escape rooms where people are just really falling out with each other and really having a hard time <laughs> and we're just like it's a game it's just fun you know we're like two minutes they, they do a countdown timer at the end two minutes left oh my god we're gonna lose all our oxygen we're all gonna die oh this is terrible and then the door unlocks and we walk out and we eat cake you know it's just I wonder just as a fleeting thought if it would be useful from a therapy perspective to take somebody who wasn't very good um, and, and take them into a situation like that with somebody. So say, for example, um, they came into a situation, a less scary one than we had, but they, somebody knew how to do it, mm -hmm. but you were guiding them to make them feel like they'd done that, yeah. so a bit of a boost to their confidence. So there's, there's um, lots of ways that you can do it, and it can backfire really badly if it doesn't work, right? So you can actually end up going the other way because you should be able to do this and you can't do this. So. I think it's a version of flooding. I'm so good at this. I'm like flooding everybody. <laughs> so, now push your buttons until you work. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we know how that works, Jess. <laughs> but the um, so so for me, when I help people, I'm tasking them after our sessions with finding things to do like that that will help them see that they're now a different person. What's the things they wouldn't normally do? Before? Yeah, so it's that curiosity of like, notice how maybe in a meeting that you um, you speak up where you never normally would have spoken up, but it's okay to do it now. Right. You know, notice how um, you might go into a situation like the escape room thing and you might actually join in with the puzzles, whereas before you just assume that... Maybe not take it as serious. Not take it as seriously, yeah. Not get upset by something, not get offended when somebody says something. So there are so many millions of possible scenarios that somebody can experience that my job is to task you to notice the difference in those, not necessarily to create the experiences that... Because everybody's different, right? They all sure. come with different stuff. But yeah, the um, mental rehearsal can be really powerful for getting evidence if you want to. So I think we've talked about the piano playing experiment before, where they had the team of people that just played it physically for two weeks, the team that mentally never touched a piano but did it in their head, and the team that never went anywhere near a piano. And the, the, the differences in the brain for the physical rehearsal ones and the mental rehearsal ones were the same. They also did it with basketball players, where they got them to just shoot hoops in their head versus just practice it. And actually the ones who shoot hoops in the head did better afterwards because there's no negative feedback, right? You're if not going to ever miss though, are you in your head? You're not, you're not, <laughs> but you're going you're gonna, to you, you embody it. You imagine all the movements that you do, which obviously I'm now sitting in Starbucks shooting basketball hoops. Because you're um, visual. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you, you, and, and you don't get that negative feedback. So negative feedback can set you back. It can go, oh damn, I missed five times in a row. Obviously this hasn't worked. And we've talked about this before, finding the positives locking onto what is changing rather than what isn't is really tricky okay so what happens is we all filter the negative right so you go, you go on a date in a coffee shop and what you're trying to do is you're trying to hide the side of you that you don't think they'll like you're not going to go there most people aren't going to go there going actually i'm a pretty good catch you know i'm really good at conversation <laughs> i know i know that's why i added i was just about to say people don't and then i thought hmm jess is in front of me most people don't <laughs> thank you um, but surely it's going to backfire if you're not going to show your flaws it's going to come out and it's going to be worse later right it could be but the, the assumption is that you've already got the established relationship so haha it's too late Aww. that's a silly assumption well everybody has their flaws right 
but I guess you don't need to just be like in your face with the flaws when you first connect with somebody. You need to find a common ground. You need to find a connection. So, if we um, take this back a step to our like love, like, love um, conversation that we always seem to be bringing up recently, um, I've got a different version of love than you do. Yes. So, um, where's my brain going with this? If you are not showing your flaws and you're hiding your flaws, assuming that someone's going to fall in love with you, and it doesn't matter after that because the love's already there. I don't see it that way. No, I know. So I see it as um, the the person would go because I guess for me it comes down to love is um, conditional. <laughs> yes, exactly. That that's why we have this conversation, right? Because for you, you're approaching it from logic. There's a big flaw of mine. And, love uh, is conditional. Yeah, lo- you're approaching it from a logical, rational point of view, which is how you approach things. There is nothing about love that is logical or rational. You know, that's why all the films and all the Shakespeare plays and all these things have crazy stuff happening in them because love is not logical and rational. But you also can't maybe it know. Should be. Yeah, maybe it should be, but that's not maybe how human nature works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll just change the whole of the human <laughs> race. Um, but if you've not experienced it, I don't think, I think you will always default to the rational, logical, and you're such a rational person that you will try and explain everything away. And I, I think the minute you experience something like that, all the rules go out the window. Okay. So, best ways of going on a date, to summarise, are to do things together. Yes. So, bonding experience that's not based on staring into someone's eyes. Well, because it gives, you, it gives you something else totally to do. Her. It gives you, you She's know... She's not doing a lot of signals back, though. She's just kind of being really bland in her body language. I'm looking for some, like, hair touching. Or, oh, oh, wee bit hair touching, wee bit hair touching. That's more well, like scratching my head. head. Just, yeah, that was kind of scratching <laughs> Like we're just she's not taking the day. coat off as well. She's obviously not planning on staying. Yeah. I mean, it's like quite warm in here, and you've still got your coat on. Yeah, it looks like she wants to leave. That's quite a signal, isn't it? I think he's more it? into her than he's kind of cute though. Maybe I should get in there when she goes. I think he's cute. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Okay, so. <laughs> um, so the best thing to do now. The good thing about doing an activity is. A, you get to see a truer side of each other, yes. but B, if you don't really like each other, you've got the activity you can focus on. Well, that's true. So uh, it's a real high-pressure situation to sit across from a table at each other and just talk at each other for an hour or so, isn't it? Well, it is, especially if you, like me, can make your mind up in about three seconds whether you like somebody <laughs> or not, and that would be like painful for me. Mm. And I'm really good at deflecting, so I would just bounce back. You just, you just go questions. at them. <laughs> you would, you just go at them. You let's, just let's keep asking them questions. <laughs> yeah, you'd just be like, but why? And I'll I'd, give them some new problems. <laughs> they'd probably be grabbing the coat and running out after half an hour going, oh my God. No, that's the thing. You see, so when, you, when you deflect and ask them loads of questions about them, what happens? Yeah, they think you're really interested in them. Yes. And they think that you're a really cool person. And they, they think you've had a really great time together because you really connected well because they spoke about themselves so much. Sucks. But there is a kind of over, keep, keep going, keep going too far that way where you're just kind of feeling like you're being interrogated which can also <laughs> I happen a, I should bring a spotlight speaking from personal experience oh wow okay we can go there if you want <laughs> what Jess wants to do to Dawn uh, yeah 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 yeah. <laughs> Dawn takes a sip of coffee stares around Starbucks at random people <laughs> Dawn doesn't like being touched so Jess has this idea about touching Dawn it makes her really uncomfortable but I think massage would be really good for you, so we're gonna work up, work up to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't talked about dogs yet. Okay, let's talk about dogs. Well, I was thinking about imposter syndrome. Yes. With your dog, so um, can you explain to our listeners what an? Im- oh, we've got a show. Yeah, this is a show now. This, this is, is no now. longer a podcast. It's the Jess and Dawn show. We've classified it. We've given yeah, it a yeah. name. Yeah, yeah. Jess and Taking Dawn the, show. the step up, ready for the TV program, right? <laughs> so. Um, explain what imposter syndrome is like in a normal context without dogs. Okay, generically imposter syndrome is firstly one of the biggest phobias all over the world, if you were to call it a phobia. Um, People like Michelle Obama have imposter syndrome. It is a belief that you are going to be found out for not knowing what you're doing, essentially. So it's whatever level of job you're doing, whatever type of job you're doing, you just assume that somebody's going to call you out as not knowing your stuff and so it leads to a whole swathe of aversion type behaviors not going for promotions 
not doing talks and presentations because... It might not be true, so you no, might be so great at your job. The irony of imposter syndrome is the frustration that those with imposter syndrome constantly feel that people who don't know what they're talking about end up doing better than them. So they get the promotions, they have to do presentations and they're useless, so they will sit there getting really frustrated at idiots who are doing better than them, who are asking questions that are stupid, but they will worry that if they say something, they will get lynched, basically. Because surely it comes down to confidence. It is confidence, it's confidence. Now, from my perspective, I don't understand why you would have imposter syndrome, because surely you just know your stuff, right? <laughs> like, just know your stuff. Yes, because you're very just. <laughs> but if you're feeling like people are going to find out that you're not as good as they think that you are, yes. what are some steps to help you overcome that? So there are a number of steps that are pretty simple for imposter syndrome. The first one is to realize that nobody gives a hoot. Nobody cares. So nobody is actually thinking about you. Nobody is going to challenge you on whether you know your stuff. Nobody really cares whether you know your stuff or not because they're way too self-absorbed with worrying what you think about them. <laughs> so the first step to getting over imposter syndrome is to realize that nobody cares that is the single biggest You're being thing self-obsessed yeah so um you know my i used to when i got did all the big jobs that i used to do i used to get great appraisals my managers used to be like brilliant top marks on everything right the only feedback i ever got from a decent boss um was to say you don't talk up enough in meetings and i don't i never have i never did um because I have an assumption that everybody's going to say I'm making stuff up and my voice doesn't count. So my assumption was always that, that my voice doesn't count um, and therefore why would I speak up in a meeting? But I would, after the meeting, go and talk to everybody and tell them what I thought and have conversations with them because that was a low-pressure environment for me. Um, so so I, that was the feedback I got. Now, I couldn't just automatically, because my manager gave me that feedback, start to do it. It caused me lots of anxi it, anxiety, right? right? But I have an advantage in that my voice that tells me I'm an imposter, I could ignore it. I've ignored <laughs> the inner thoughts all my life, so I could just ignore it and still do all that stuff anyway, whereas everybody else would kind of all not do it. So it didn't limit my career at all. Can you teach people to ignore the inner voice? I think you can. I think you can teach people to realize that thoughts aren't true, that all your thoughts are made up, they're subjective and they're made up, and I think you can learn not to believe the lies your head's tell, telling you. And I have a little exercise for that. And you give tools for this, right? I've got a tool for this, right? So if you want a little exercise while you're all listening, here's a freebie exercise. So the problem with thoughts is not having the thoughts, the problem is believing the thoughts. So if I ask you to think of nothing, you're going to think of the word nothing, you're going to think of the number zero or you're going to think of an empty space and the empty space will have a color because you can't think of empty so it's impossible to think of nothing so i quite often get people who say i'm overthinking well tough you can't not think you just can't just stop thinking so the problem with thoughts is believing them not having them so if i'm standing on the edge of a building and i might have to take a step that would take me off the edge of the building and my head goes whoa back off you're going to die i'm absolutely going to go good point and i'm going to step back I step on the bottom rung of a stepladder and my head says, whoa, go any higher, you're going to die. I'm also going to go, good point, and I'm going to get off the stepladder. So it's not the thought that's the problem. It's like I believe and act on the thought. If I could recognize that it's just a thought, then I could carry on up the stepladder. But some thoughts are there for your safety. Well, you think all your thoughts are edge of building thoughts, whereas actually most of them are stepladder thoughts. So we think they're there so for our, our safety. Is our subconscious a hypochondria? It's risk, risk averse, right? Anything that's going to kill me is a drama queen. It's always looking out for things that are going to kill you. So your subconscious is on alert all the time for something that could hurt you. And then it, it triggers a response if it finds a match. So if your subconscious says it's going to be scary if you go high up the stepladder, you're going to go, sure it is. And you're going to back off, even though there's really no risk to going up the stepladder. So you can do a really simple exercise. It's simple but not easy to learn not to believe your thoughts right so we're not trying to learn to stop thinking that's ridiculous we're trying to learn to let our thoughts come and go so you start it's one minute a day for a week that's all right so it's not asking a lot for that one minute every single thought you have you let it come in your head but you send it away again now thoughts are abstract so to make it easier we're going to turn it into an object so um simplest object is a bubble that you pop that's what most people do. I have people do swipe right on Tinder, kind of swiping, 
I have people who explode thoughts. Doesn't really matter what your visualization is, as long as you follow two rules. First rule, every thought turns into exactly the same object. You're not filtering your thoughts, categorizing your thoughts, analyzing your thoughts. You're literally taking every thought. Critical item on your to-do list, gone. So mine is a leaf going downstream. Cool. And as long as it floats fully away, that's great, right? So, um, so every thought, critical item on your to-do list, gone. Um, what's that dog doing? Gone. Uh, oh, this is a great idea. Gone. It doesn't matter what the thought is. For 60 seconds, you're practicing how to do this. You're not actually doing it. So for 60 seconds, you're learning how to take every thought and send it away. Second rule is it must fully disappear whatever the object is. So leaf floating down the stream is great as long as it's gone. But scrunching it up and throwing it in the bin, not okay, it's still in the bin. Right? So whatever you do with it, it must fully disappear. So for 60 seconds, that's all. Every day for a week, all you do is every single thought. You sit there, everything, come go, come go, come go. At the end of the week, if you can make it through the 60 seconds without checking your timer, you can go up to two minutes. <laughs> but if you're struggling, you keep going until you can do the whole 60 seconds and then you go up to two minutes. Now, when you can do it for two it's minutes, like meditation. you are a Zen master, <laughs> right? Because once you've learned how to do it and you've practiced it well enough, you can start applying it to the thoughts that don't serve you. You can spot the thoughts that are like, oh my God, they're gonna think this, and go, it's just a thought, and you've got rid of it, and you come back into the moment. So we're not stopping us having the thoughts, we're just not believing them, right? So we're able to pick and choose which thoughts we believe and which thoughts we don't believe. But you have to practice it first because it's really, really hard to do. Because if I ask, if I had somebody sat in front of me and I said, tell me what you're thinking just now, then most people will pick something fairly tangible. Most people will not say, oh God, Dawn's just asked me what I'm thinking, which is usually the first thought. Usually the second thought is, what if I haven't understood and I give the wrong answer? And it's the third thought that people usually say. So the tricky thing about the exercise is spotting those innate thoughts that we automatically believe. Now, if you're really struggling, you can think about your breathing. That's a gimme, I'm thinking about my breathing. But actually, as you get good at this, I can't think of anything is a thought. I don't know if I'm doing this right, is a thought. I'm not having any thoughts, is a thought. These are all thoughts, right? So you can use this exercise, and it is a form of mindfulness, but I always thought, think it should be called thinkfulness or something, you know, because it's, it's noticing <laughs> oh, your you thoughts. Just, you've just coined your, your own you know, thinkfulness, phrase. Dawn's thinkfulness. I've not heard of it before, so <laughs> go for it. But this I'm is, actually going to put this into, I'm, I always write notes, well, I try to. Sometimes I get carried away. We get some interesting notes. Uh, thinkfulness. I write them as we're talking so I can have a wee synopsis. <laughs> That's good. I like that. Okay, so back to dogs again. Yes. Imposter syndrome. Yes. So I have noticed a few owners come along with their dogs and they're not showing their true colours to the humans, but the dogs are able to pick up. Now I know the dogs are picking it up because I know dog. So they're. It's almost like going on a first date, right? Mm-hmm. They're coming on their first date with Jess on the on the walks and they're putting their best foot forward, but their dog's showing me the missing links. The dog's showing me what they're not doing. Yep. So they're being an imposter because they're not coming along going, I can't actually control this, this is awful, and just crying. Sometimes they do cry, but mostly, mostly they not. don't want to show that they're failing. Where does that come from? Is that from a young age like that we, we feel like failure is going to knock us out the herd or possibly I think there's two things I think the first thing is they don't always recognize that they're failing so you said the other day there was somebody who said you know sorry my dog's not very well trained but they didn't say I haven't trained my dog they just said my dog is not very well trained so yeah, it's, it's all on the dog when people put the the pressure on the dog yeah, yeah. the dog's fault that it's yeah, not yeah. doing something and, and that's why when people come on the walks if you ask them to come without the dog they never do because they <laughs> think that's a ridiculous idea right so so it's the owners that are responsible for the dog's behavior and and I think so a lot of the time people don't come on the the walks or don't come to you unless something significant enough has happened that they've had to see things differently that they can't ignore anymore so I think the first thing is that people don't even recognize the relationship and what they've done they don't they don't know and then something really bad happens and now they don't want to admit it so most people will say it's nipped they won't say it's bitten right most people will say my dog's nipped or it nips somebody very few people will say it's bitten somebody because that feels so much worse and that's like admitting there's a problem with your dog where it's nipping, 
not really a problem. We can just work they're on dumbing this. down the, the yeah. issues. Yeah, they're dumbing down so, it. Yeah, they, they don't tell us the the real, like, even like dogs coming into rescue and stuff. People yeah. always kind of dilute things that are. They do. Because they, I guess, because of the emotional relationship and bond. So you know. Yeah, there's, you know, you don't want to paint your dog in too bad a light. You don't want to admit that you've struggled. You're not even admitting to yourself. You know, you just um, you don't you don't want to show up that you failed. You know, nobody's going to come along and say I really messed up. But that's my question. Is that a societal problem that we don't want to admit that we're failing? I think when there's consequences. I think if you ask most people, they say a dog that bites will be put down. You know that's not true, but most of the public will assume that a dog that bites is put down. Which then may be related to the, the, our thing that we've noticed is that people don't like wearing muzzles. Sorry, no. people don't like their dogs wearing muzzles in this country. People don't like wearing muzzles either. Well. Funny. <laughs> in certain areas. Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> Did I ever mention I'm a visual person? <laughs> So, um, yeah, are we all imposters? Do the dogs show us that we're imposters if we listen? And, and is that really hard to swallow if your dog's behaving in a certain way? So my example earlier, before we put the podcast on, was that I took... The show. The show. Um, I took, before we started the show in Starbucks, uh, I took Miko... Well, obviously he's here. He's having a wee snooze. I, um, I was taking Nico towards the door of Starbucks, and someone was sitting outside with a beagle. Yep. And the beagle saw him and started kicking off. Now, Nico reverted to his old behaviour, which um, was to go, oh, I need to be doing something here. And he was just in a normal um, slip leak, so I put it over his nose to give me a bit of control, because I had a blanket and phone and keys and everything. So I was just like, let's stick this over his nose, and that way I can not get pulled around. And instead of quickly walking in the door and ignoring the situation my brain went to I'm going to use this as an opportunity to help him know how to deal with it and get him to meet this dog that's barking yes. its head off right yep. so um, my personality type is and I think I've trained myself to do this I don't think that was a natural I think that's something that's happened over time my personality type is um, not to run away from things yep. to face up to problems yep. and to change my behaviour so yep. um I was just walking calmly and the behaviour change was get control of the situation and now revert to going from the door to actually walking past the door. Yep. So, um, because that's going to be more beneficial to the dog and, and to me, even though it's taking time out of my yep. day. So the beagle guys, meantime, got his dog out in front of him, lunging and barking and he's shouting at me, it's okay, he's friendly, he just likes to <laughs> say hi to all dogs. <laughs> <laughs> so what I did was got in front of uh, Miko, asked him for eye contact, uh, got down to his level, touched him, and Miko was like, oh cool. So he took his energy away from the beagle, mm -hmm. his attention, and the beagle then shut up because I was blocking him. Yep. And then I relaxed my lead and said, go say hi. And so Miko walked up calmly to the beagle, who then shut up because he was getting his own way. Yep. Right. So the beagle's now going, oh, this dog's coming near me, I can shut up now. And Miko got to say hi to him. So three seconds, and then I went, right, so it's good, walk on. Yep. And I vaguely even had any interaction with the human. I just kind of yep. smiled and I, I spoke through the dogs, like, hey, want to say hi, you know, while I was training. So I wasn't rude, but... I didn't have any interaction with him because he's mm -hmm. useless, right? Yeah. Like physically and, and mentally just useless. <laughs> like, what do I call them? NPCs, right? Non-player characters. I was interested in his dog. Uh, I wanted to get the situation safe. But I didn't want to end with that dog barking and, and my dog, or my charge, being left going, well, that was a bit stressful. Yep. So the least stressful situation was for him to do reset, relax, say hi, and then walk on. Because yep. he then was empowered. Yep. Your average dog owner doesn't have that skill. And no. I think would find it, I mean, even, good job. So a dog's just got up next to him and Nico's still lying down, just looking at him. What a clever boy, you're so gorge. Good boy. So your average dog doesn't, dog owner doesn't have that skill and it's something you have to learn. I think even trainers actually don't have many of, that, many yep. of those skills. Um, what I want to get to is to be able to transfer that to the human. Because they can't see what I see, so it's not as if it's something you can teach if you can't see it in the first no. place. Plus, the average human would avoid a situation like that. So Most of the do dog owners that come to our walks will avoid they anything will that might make them uncomfortable. Yes, they have been avoiding 
they don't go to places where there are other dogs, they walk late at night so there are not other dogs around, they cross the road so they don't have altercations, um, they are avoiding and it is human nature to avoid. What happens when we avoid? So what, what are we avoiding in the first place? Risk. Feelings? Uh, no, yeah, um, getting hurt. Um, so I think the, the path that a brain with a dog would go down would be my dog could attack their dog, their dog could attack my dog, um, I will lose my dog. So they don't know the probability. So my brain's going, probability based on my experiences and my instincts because of my experiences is yes. this. So I, if that was a, a dog that was having a different body language, I would have avoided and gone, sit nicely, reward and walk by. Yep. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's probability is a logical statement and you're talking an emotional state that they're in. So what you've got is, oh my god, I'm going to lose my dog. Am I able to switch somebody who's an emotional person to a logical state? Um, in the same way as you can with a dog once you get it to stand down. Right, so when you're watching dogs, so so you have to make them feel safe. Yeah, so. you make them feel safe. So today, like you know, Glenn's playing, right? So Glenn the Weasler is romping around. He's still a puppy, and he's still playing around. And you can spot when it's getting a bit too many too many endorphins. They're losing their mind. Actually, the best example would be Dino the other night, right? So Dino's chasing birds, bats, whatever bats, they were. Yeah. He was going mental. He was yipping. He was, was yipping with his quite pathetic stressed. little girly dog thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but <laughs> he got faithist. He's got this really deep voice and you got Dina with his like, oh! So he's one of the therapy dogs yeah. that um, is with a, a, woman, a young woman that we support and he does really well He's a job. great dog. He's a lovely dog but he loses his mind at night in the evening when the bats are flying around. This is around. a new thing, right? Yeah, it's, it's a, a relatively new, new thing. So the bats are out, is like the lights obviously change and he's just gone. This is great fun to yeah. chase. And he's he's listening. He you know he's 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 got all the training and he's getting called he wasn't back. Listening at that. One. But so what what I mean to say is. Good boy. <laughs> Not somebody with a stick. Good boy. Good boy. That's good. Good He's new at everything. <laughs> good boy. Good lad. Clever. Um. Yeah. So the. Yeah, so uh, he, when he, the bats come out, um, he's getting what we would call over arousal, right? So yes, he was. Excited. He was, and then comes out, and any of the training that he's got, which is which is extensive, is lost. Yeah, he's not able to access that. Yeah, yeah, it was. He was. He was just gone, and you know, you were like, okay, we need to get him on a lead. We need to give him a chance to to stand down. So you know, could we? Could we use regular training at that point when Dino was in that state? No, we couldn't, right? Because he was not—he was not present. He'd lost his mind. I think when somebody is incredibly anxious, um, has in their mind, "My dog's barking. My dog's going to get attacked." It's exactly the same thing. So they're a little bit in survival mode. They are in survival mode, and the only time that they can absorb is when they're not in survival mode. So there's going to be a lot of Which things. Ironically, means not coming with your dog. <laughs> which does, which does ironically mean that, but also where they're not feeling judged for their dog. So even on a walk where you, you know, like today, you might have a dog that's not responding, that's not coming back to its owner. The owner is now not listening to you when you say this is what you need to do because they're going, my dog's not listening to they're me. So my dog's, so they've gone again. So you, you've got a real natural ability to spot when a dog is gone, when it's going too far. Um, you know, if they're kind of going at each other when it's like, okay, that's not healthy anymore, that's not just them telling each other off, that's going to go too far, you step in, you know instinctively. You don't have that with humans. I think most people don't have that with humans because I don't think we realise quite how often we're in that switched off state. And so, yes, learning can happen when the brain is not emotional, right? There's a phrase which is strong emotions make us stupid. So when we're emotional, we lose our brain. Okay. So if you want to do training, then you need to have the brain back. Which is why sometimes you having their dog gives them space. So, you know, I can walk along and talk to them while you have their dog. Now they can get their brain back because... How about giving them an exercise before they come along to help them come back down into... I, I don't logic. think it would work unless they practiced it. That's what I mean, though. Yeah. Like with a dog, you would you wouldn't put him in a situation like that until he's practiced before. Does he need to come in the middle here? 
Or is he alright there with people? Good point. Um, yeah, so the idea would be that we would practice um, bringing the, the human into logic. Yes, <laughs> so yeah. So that we can use that, a phrase or something to bring, you know, it should be easier with a human. It should be. Um, I'm not sure if I was to think of a, an exercise that I could give somebody, because that's kind of what I do in therapy, is I stop the brain switching off, right? So there's lots of people that... that help people with what to do when they're anxious, what to do when they're angry. You know, you go to an anger yeah, management this course. Is, this, isn't, uh, this is subliminal. So something yes. that you, a trigger that you would say to, to make their subconscious go, oh, yeah, I've just gone into emotional, I need to come back. So so one of the things I do, and you'll see this, because you're going to come, we're, we're doing a talk to a school next week. We're doing, I've got a talk to one school about presentation skills. But then the other school that I'm going to, it's about confidence. They've got to put on a rock show or something like that, so they need confidence, right? So I'm going to be doing an imposter syndrome type workshop with them. Yes. Um, and one of the things I teach people is, you know, there's lots of fuss. He's got monkey eyes, hasn't he? Yeah. This is in the middle of a podcast, but um, <laughs> one of the things I people often talk about is get outside your comfort zone, stretch yourself. And I think that's really stupid because the comfort zone is called the comfort zone for a reason. It's comfortable, right? So what's better is instead of stepping outside of it, why don't you just take it with you? Learn how to take your comfort zone with you, right? Yes. And then if you can take your comfort zone with you, then in different situations... But you have to remember how to use it, and that's the tricky bit, right? Well, that's if you build an anchor, you don't, because an anchor is an automatic positive replacement of a negative emotional state. But you have to build it, and I'm not sure I could do anything that gave people a task to do it without them in front of me okay. so i think i think it's absolutely the, 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 a good thing to do super into helping the dog might do a session with you first mm -hmm. then come along with other dog then bring the dog and yes then yeah yeah for yeah so i think one of the things we were talking about is the website ideal owners will invest in themselves first. well we were talking about this this kind of the idea what is an ideal dog owner you know what is the if, you know you see sometimes these drawings of the um an ideal kid or an ideal teenager or something like that or you know it's kind of I've got this cartoon image of you know an ideal dog owner does these things right because it's a skill it's a skill it's a live being it's a skill parenting is a skill so dog ownership is a skill but not everybody has it but not every culturally especially in Britain why is it culturally like a thing that you can just do like you know not even buying a car. You have to drive before you go and buy a car. Yeah. But for some reason, well, how hard can it be just to have a, a dog or a puppy? Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. So, so there's no requirement. But there's no requirement to be a parent either. There's no parenting class that you have to take or no skill set that you have to prove. But it's a massively skilled job. You know, and it can go horribly wrong with kids and dogs if you don't have that skill. So there's this assumption that everybody can learn it and I don't think you can I don't think everybody can be skilled at looking after a dog Not I think I think people can owner. yeah I don't think everybody can I don't think everybody can be a skilled cook some people you know don't have that innate ability to taste food and and they don't understand how combinations of flavors work they might be able to follow a recipe or even have the patience to stand for three seconds at a, an oven and yes I, yes i can that's why i like the air fryer i can just yeah, go the air fryer is also. Away now and do other stuff adhd brain can't stand at an oven and go i'm gonna i'm i'm impatient as well and i i like i like creating i'm a creative person and i like outcome but i'm not going to be able to spend a lot of time preparing all the components for a meal for example Whereas Paul can, Paul's my husband's great at that, you know, he's, he's a really good cook and it's because he has the attention to detail to um, sear the steak first, make sure it reaches the, you know, use a thermometer to make sure it's the ideal temperature, I'm like, I'm poking That's it. Like yeah, yeah, I know, for me it is, but for him it's great, so, you know, he is naturally better at, at creating meals than I am, but I cook, I cook for us to eat, right, and it's good enough and it'll do, and I think... That's the thing, and I think the problem is that when you've got a problem with your dog, then good enough is not good enough anymore. So what happens when um, you've got imposter syndrome happening in a human who doesn't have the good skills to be a dog owner, <laughs> and your dog sees it? Yes, then you end up with a dog that has to be given up to a rescue or something like that. What if you're like a current client, absolutely not wanting to give that dog up, Yeah. Um, but also failing? the point where your dog wants to be with everybody else yeah you. and you, you yeah you, there's nothing you can do about that 
I'm sure there is. There you can you can reach a basic to, level. We have to convince him that it's it's him that needs the work. You know, his confidence and, and yeah, and and that's tricky to do because people have to come to these choices themselves. You can't tell people this, right? Yeah, but we can we can advise and, and you know, it's like I see it like being a detective where you kind of go right, okay certain things have to come together and you know we've tried this and tried yeah. this right so what's the missing link do you know i i think you and i differ on the thing that i think there are some people who are just not going to get and it yet you're the one that's like got hope for humanity i know i have hope for humanity and you don't <laughs> i know we're just ironic aren't we? i know that's why we make good friends so um <laughs> <laughs> what i think that i see is the dog tells me what's lacking in, in the person or that weakness is mm-hmm Right? Yep. So if a person doesn't have good um, leadership qualities, the dog picks up on that. Yep. And will either step into that role or become very anxious because that role is missing from yep. his life. Yep, absolutely. Um, and yeah, the, the hard bit is for us is convincing the owner that we see what, for them to see what we see because they can't see it. Without them going into survival mode and having a wobble because they feel terrible yeah, because they're letting their dog down. That's the, the tricky bit I, I find because um, I feel like I'm quite a secure person. Yep. And I'm dealing with people that are not secure. Yep. So how can I have a conversation with someone who's not on the same wavelength? I want you to get to the secure place. Yep. We can have a conversation that's uh, reasonable. And I think your idea before actually is, is quite a good one is, is create the wins, right? So I think if you can create the wins. So I think if you say to somebody, you need to do these things. Firstly, we don't have a whole essay before that of why those things are important. That just comes from your skill and your expertise. This is what you need to do. This will create this relationship, right? But you don't, all the things that you inherently know why, they're not discussed because you don't have time. You're just kind of in the heat of the moment, right? So then the person has to do those things, not necessarily understanding the end results or why they're doing them, but because they trust you as the expert, they're going to follow your guidance. But following somebody's recipe is not the same as baking a cake, right? You can, you can follow a recipe and end up with a terrible cake. So um, you need that person to have a little bit of understanding to go, right, this is why I'm doing it. So that they're not doing exactly what you tell them. They're doing the principles of what you're telling them rather than exactly what you tell them. And so what you find with some people is, for whatever reason, they aren't able to do that. You tell them to do something, they do that. You tell them to do something else, they do something else, and they stop doing the first thing that you told them. And then you tell them to do something else, and now they're just like doing none of it because they're not really sure what they're supposed to do. Um, so you can give them knowledge, but you can't make them understand. Yeah. But you can, if you want to really work at it, you can continually demonstrate through example. And the hardest thing is with some dogs, by demonstrating through example, they just bond with you instead. Because yeah, right? you've got the live thing there, kind of going, oh, it's actually way more fun with you. I like the way you work. I understand the rules. It works for me. And it's safety, I think. It comes yeah, yeah. I feel secure. Yeah. So I think they maybe need time on and off walk. I understand. One of the things that I'm seeing, um, and it was obviously made clear today, um, is that people will do things like um, the example I'm thinking of is jacking the lead. Yeah. People will do things before they've met me, and they revert to that type when they feel stressed. Yeah. So, Today we saw that Jack in the lead. I've never told him to do it and told no. him my absolute hates, yep. you know, because of the neck and so on. Um, and he reverted to that because he was so desperate for the dog to behave. Yep. And why is it not staying with me? Yep. So we revert to that old behaviour. Yeah. And that's a wee signal to us to say he's not listening nope. anymore. He's lost that. He's gone back to emotional. He just wants the dog to yep. behave. And, um, so the the step then is not to go back and teach him the thing that you need to teach him. The step then is well, to... I backed go off and kind of just let him sit yeah, yeah. a little bit and got him to go away from us. Yeah, just give him a bit of space. But um, they're doing the same things that dogs do. They'll revert back to what they've always done, that old habit. It's the pathways, the right? The pathways are still there. They've not gone anywhere. It's humans and dogs. So the old pathway and the old behaviour has not gone anywhere. It's not ingrained enough, the new behaviour, to become automatic. So it's not just ingrained, is it? It's the, it's the bit where it's um, making sense to them enough for them to override anything they've done before and choose to do that. Because yeah. they have to make the choice to make the pathway. Yeah. For the dog, we do it for them because we show them what to do. And then we repeat it until the dog goes, all right, this is, this is easier. Or this yeah. is now where I get my so, so I can totally see how, in my life before Jess, um, <laughs> 
you know, that time where I didn't have to go out in the middle of the dark, in the rain, in the cold at night. Um, <laughs> the, the when we... Oh, podcast, LPG, like before James. <laughs> <laughs> that, that could be a new set. It's a show. Like six to eight, six preferences or genders or something. I, I don't know where we're going with that. LBG. I just remind me of all the okay. abbreviations. Okay. Um. <laughs> LBTQWXY. Zed, yeah, okay. Um. <laughs> so we used You're to have a puppy. Yeah, I know, I know. ask you what you want to be referred to as. I know. Yeah, or you works for me. I'm, a, I'm okay with Freeman. Or you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mind being in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's anything's fine by me. I don't expect people to remember my name, so I don't expect people to. It's because the next step is just for us all to walk about naked so we can see, right? Like, <laughs> oh, I can identify as uh, what you are because. <laughs> 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 Don space is done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Visual person. Hi. Um. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't want to see you all naked. Good. Um, so uh, we used to have a. That we had. That was here earlier. He's gone now. We had a gun dog puppy. No, that was. Many years ago, and uh, and we. Gibson. Gibson, yeah, named after the guitar, husband, guitar player. Um, yeah, and he was he was lovely. Um, and the plan was that my husband would do the training, and I would do all the other stuff, because my husband's at home all day. It was supposed to be a companion for my husband. Uh, we wanted to get, well, he wanted to get a puppy because he didn't want a rescue dog when we had a young child, and we didn't know what the background was. Um, he didn't like little dogs, even though his first dog was a Dachshund, by the way. Um, so he has a. He loved it. He was great. Heidi. Um, Heidi. <laughs> so, you know, so he had all these criteria for the dog that we had to have, which wouldn't have been the same as my criteria. I was the one who had to do the walking and clearing up and all this sort of stuff. But the problem was Don't when. Do it, an enabler. I am an enabler. It's fine. Not a problem being an enabler. Um, problem was the um, puppy noisy overnight he didn't get enough sleep Paul without enough sleep not good doesn't work um, then having to bend down and grab the puppy and things like that his back being knackered he was in pain and he was getting no sleep so he was incapable of doing it so we'd, we'd done the thing you do we watched the YouTube videos we read up on it worked out all the training but didn't know you know was just doing it very ad hoc dog was totally out of control and I know that if somebody had taught me the right thing to do, if you taught me the right thing to do with a slip lead and stuff like that, I would still, when that dog trying to lunge or run off, my first response would have been to drag it back and probably get quite cross at it. Because I used to get really frustrated. The training that you do, like for five minutes a day, is not the same as the little interactions and the, the living with the dog, right? Exactly, exactly. So, you know, we also had the added factor of a child. And what happens is, you know, we go, Gibson, come here. And the child would go from the other side of the room, Gibson, come here. And the dog's just like, whoa, where do I go? And running around. So she was cancelling out a lot of it. It was chaos. And it was, so it was really hard. And we've seen that with, with other people, with kids. Whether and if you would have gone to a training class for weeks on end, you would have thought, I'm a person that's going to training classes. Yes. Why isn't this changing my dog's behavior? Exactly. I should be making exactly. dog better. I should be getting a trained dog at this. Yeah. So, you know, I, I can totally relate to that situation. And, you know, in the end, we um, we sent it back to the gun dog place and he went to, an act, to be an actual gun dog and he got some really good training and he was he was dead happy, way happier than he would have ever been with us. And that's um, hard, though, to admit that. And yeah, yeah. also, like, the least selfish thing you can do because you were making that dog crazy. Mm. <laughs> We absolutely recognised that it was we were not right for that dog. And a lot of people don't recognise no, that. No, no. <laughs> and and you know it was it was Paul spent many years kind of going wish we still had him, wish we still had him. But he actually messaged me this morning because it was like five or six years ago that we had him, and they're all coming up in our Facebook memories. And he's like, I'd forgotten how bad it was, and I'm really glad well, we, we did do, that. Don't we? Yeah. So if you couldn't get rid of him, so if it was against the law to get rid of him, like with your kids, right? So yeah. We're gonna keep him. What do you think that you could have done now that you know what you know? So life after Jess. Yes. Hang on. Ladge. Ladge <laughs> doesn't have the same ring to it. But it's surely like LBG. with Jess, not after Jess. I'm still here. Life during Jess. No, that doesn't sound right either. <laughs> um, what do you think that you would have changed, knowing what you know now, going back in time, to help the situation? So um, he was a lab. So he's incredibly food motivated. I'm a lot, I'm a lot. I'm a lot, I'm a lot. So I would have, I would have done the attention training. The first thing I would have done would I've got the dog paying attention to me. That'd be the, I'd have been spending all my time 
getting the dog to listen to me and then giving him tasks and rewarding them tasks i would have it would have been so using up his energy i would i would use up his energy i would not be expecting him to be shown things a few times and then be trained on how to do it and then get really really frustrated when he wouldn't do it it's like i was trying to train him to go to the toilet before we went for a walk down the path because we had a bit of ground uh, he, he'd mooch around for half an hour having a great time and as soon as i got down the path he'd have a crap and i'm like god damn it i'll kill you <laughs> Um, I was trying to train him for a decent recall and not realising how to do that, I followed some guide Paul and read up on it, um, saying that while they're a puppy, get the recall good and all that sort of stuff, kind of made sense. But I hadn't actually trained him for recall, so he'd run across the road at the end of the path and it was just like, ah! and I was getting so frustrated with him. So none of that would have happened because the training would have been consistent. So as a new owner, yeah. am I right in thinking that you assumed a few times of doing something would train the dog? Yeah. And now, with life during Jess, you recognise that that training actually takes maybe a year or two. Yeah, yeah. To it's and I also know that they turn into teenagers when they're 18 months to two years old, and you have to start all over again a lot of the time. So I also <laughs> would know and be ready for that. So yeah, I, I think you know it would be massively different because what we would have had was a dog that was a great companion for Paul, that would be you know you exactly what he you needed. You don't buy it, you, and it's a lot of work. And actually, the crazy thing is, it was a lot of work having a badly trained puppy. It was horrible. It was a thoroughly unpleasant experience for all of us. I would much rather be doing a lot of work to get a well-trained puppy than a lot of work with a badly trained puppy. Sure. But I didn't know there was an alternative. He was over. You know, his sister came along <coughs> when they came to pick him up. She was dead calm. She was sat in a van, like chilling out because she lived on a farm and all this sort of stuff. And my puppy's like, ah, all over the place, right? And I'm like, God, we've got the wrong puppy. A semi-intelligent woman. Thank you for the semi-intelligent, Jess. I really appreciate that. <laughs> I don't like Did I mention that we were good friends? I don't think I, I, I shouldn't have mentioned that, maybe. So, <laughs> the frustrating part for me is that you obviously got a brain you're capable of learning. Yep. And yet you managed to ruin a puppy. Yeah. Right? So... Um, I would have thought less of you if I, if I saw you with that puppy. Oh, God, yeah. That's why I can't ever have a dog, by the way. But you're but you're able to do it, but not at that stage, because you didn't have the right, yeah. right tools. Didn't know. didn't know. I think most people start that way, don't they, with yes. the dog. I certainly wasn't born this awesome. Yeah, right? we, <laughs> we, had the in, we absolutely had the intent of getting a puppy and training it well. Yes, there I was, think most people do it. And recognising that that's what we should do, and that we shouldn't just but leave it to chance. when it's going wrong, we, we're... We're in a different situation. So we have the intention to go, well, I'll get the puppy and I'll train it, it'll be great. Yep. And then we go, shit, I'm ruining this. How, how do I get out of this situation? Yep. I like it. And is it fair to say that your bond with him wasn't um, oh, I hated as him. it would have been if he'd been... I hated him by then. It was like, I was not calm. I mean, you don't see me getting like that kind of anger. Right? Yeah, I, I hated that dog. He was a bane of my life. I was so stressed because Paul was stressed. And, it, it and how do you feel now, knowing that it probably wasn't the dog? Yeah, it's, it's sad because actually the intent was, you know, studies have shown, so my husband had a quadruple heart bypass in 2007, and studies have shown that men particularly recover way better from heart operations if they have a dog. It's the release of oxytocin and what oxytocin does, or right? A supportive wife, maybe. Yeah, he, he can't get a supportive <laughs> wife, that's not going to happen. Um, <coughs> I hear you can import them now from Asia. Oh, right, I hear. I'm not sure how supportive they are. In Russia. Um, <laughs> so, so you know, my intent was to have a companion for a husband who spends all day at home, and and it would have been really great. I would have loved to have had that companion for him. You know, every time I come on a walk with you, Paul's like, you know, bring me a dog when you come home. Bring me a dog. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I'm bringing a dog. So it is. It's it's for me. It's really sad. You're still finding it stressful because I've offered you to have. Yeah, yeah, I can't do it. Overnight and stuff. And you still have this like PTSD about this dog, don't you? It's not even. Um, it's I struggle already to balance all the things that I need to keep hold of. You know, I've got all my personal stuff going on, which is pretty intense. Even when I try and get away from it, it's still pretty intense. I have a child that's 14 and and working through their stuff, and I have a husband who's unable to leave the house, um, and also needs supporting. So, and then I have a business to try and run and I need to try and make enough money to function and all of these things. So I struggle a hell of a lot to juggle all of these things. And at any given point, 
one of those things can be like peaking and usually is so you add an extra thing of responsibility that needs walking that needs picking up after that I would also have to do you've just added another thing that would also then have a peaking moment so it may be great for Paul but I don't have the capacity to deal with it and that's recognizing that you know and and in fairness before we had Gibson Paul had actually reached a pretty happy good point in his life the idea was the puppy would just make that stable and actually it knocked us back years he actually ended up really low after that because it's it's a loss you know we need to have a good um, plan we need to have a thought process you know it has to be a thoughtful process taking on a dog yes it's it's not just this study this study proves that it's really good having a dog Mm. and in fact it probably would have been less stressful buying a rabbit skin and just petting that all day yeah absolutely you know and the cats would have been enough right you know, and they brought us rabbit skins in fairness. The <laughs> rabbits were attached, but you know. Sorry, <laughs> vegans. <laughs> I love rabbits. I love vegans. Okay. There's a lot on that dating app. Okay. Good to know. Like no carnivores. Like uh oh. Uh oh, this but isn't gonna she, work for you. So good looking, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This isn't gonna work. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I mean, yeah, other pets are are better. Yeah. You know. Well, that's, that's a really good place to. Um, it is, and and that's the end of it. An hour. Oh my god, good for us. All right. Thanks for listening. See you later.